0: G'day, tonight we're going to look at the character of Rachel. Rachel was the Pamela Anderson of her day, and the daughter of that shady character Laban. Laban was a bit like the Delboy of his day, and he wasn't above doing anything in order to make a deal or change a bargain for his own advantage. So before we proceed together, please do open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29, and I shall read from verse 14. Jacob has just arrived at Padan Aram and been welcomed by his uncle Laban. So reading from Genesis chapter 29. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The names of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel, and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his great love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, my time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place, and gave a big feast. And when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter, as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah, So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now that may be to some people a long passage, but it helps us set up the story of Rachel. And it sounds like a modern day soap opera, doesn't it? Like, Holby City, East Enders or Coronation Street. And Rachel had a fairly complicated family structure as we have seen. So let's try to unravel it. Rachel's, Rachel's sister Rebecca was Jacob's mother. Rebecca trained Jacob to scheme in order to gain his father's blessings and promised him that she would take the results of the deceitful act upon herself. Rachel became Jacob's wife but only after Laban had tricked him into marrying Leah first, who was the older daughter. And we can wonder if Rachel encouraged Jacob in his trickery, or if she was influenced by him to think first of herself at the expense of others. Whether his mother and or his wife influenced Jacob, or indeed if he influenced them, both Rebecca and Rachel serve as examples of the outcomes of sinful deceit and discontent. So who was Rachel? What are some of her personal details? We know she was born in Aramea, which is in modern day Syria. As we've said, she's the daughter of Laban, the second wife of Jacob, who was her first cousin. She was the mother of Joseph and Benjamin, and the ancestress of three tribes of Israel, the Benjaminites, the Ephraimites, and the Manassites, who were the sons of Joseph. She possessed great beauty as we've seen, and I said that she was the the Pamela Anderson of her day. But she was devious and not single-minded in devotion to God. And she probably didn't put away her idols until shortly before she died. And her sorrow is depicted by Jeremiah in chapter 31 of his book in order to signify the sorrow of Israel's people at the exile of Israel to Assyria and Babylon. So that's Rachel. Now let us look at some of the main people involved in the life of Rachel. Her father, her sister, her husband, and her children. Firstly, here is Laban, her dad. Laban was a crafty sort of character, as you may have gathered by the Bible reading. And over the course of 20 years, he switched Jacob's wives, wages, and livestock for his own advantage. He was devious and deceitful. It was probably his philosophy that Rachel uh, imitated in her long search for fulfillment, for she, too, was always looking to protect or enhance her own position by means of cheating and deceit to get a better deal. And although she resembled her father in this way, Rachel had little respect for him. The only subject about whom she seemed to agree with Leah about was that their father had cheated them. Jacob told his wives that he had noticed that Laban's attitude toward him had changed and that God had directed him to return to the land of his fathers and we see that in Genesis chapter 31. But Rachel went one further step than her sister. Rachel stole her father's household gods, the inheritance and Jacob did not know that either. When Laban found out and caught up with Jacob, Jacob angrily assisted that Laban search among his goods and he promised to put to death anyone found to have taken them. And we read that in Genesis chapter 31. So that's Laban, now her sister. Let's look at Rachel's sister Leah. And to a certain point, Rachel's relationship with her sister also affected her marriage with Jacob since Leah also happened to be married to Jacob. There began and began a, a, a fierce competition between Leah and Rachel over their individual rights to Jacob's sexual attention. Rachel insisted that Jacob sleep with her maid Bilhar so that she could build a family through her servant. Two sons were born, Dan and Naphtali. When Leah stopped bearing children of her own, She gave her maid Zilpah to Jacob. Two more sons were added. Rachel was far from satisfied and her jealousy was not eased. Let's have a look at this. Genesis chapter 30, verses 14 to 16. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants which he brought to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. And we may well be surprised to see in this passage Jacob's abdication of his own authority over the household in the face of these fighting sisters. We see Leah's readiness to drive a hard but pretty bargain when she had the opportunity. But we also see the extent to which Rachel jealously guarded her territorial claim to Jacob against her sister. Rachel was not the older sister, nor the first wife, but she was clearly the more dominant woman Though she granted her a night with Jacob in exchange for mandrakes, Rachel would have had to answer no to Leah's question, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? No, she would have had to have responded. Discontent continued to smolder within her, as not one thing was ever enough for Rachel. So that's Laban, and that's also Leah, and now her husband, Jacob. Ah, Jacob the Deceiver, which is what his name means. When Jacob fled up from the wrath of his brother Esau, he obeyed his mother's advice and went to Haran in search of his uncle Laban. First he found Rachel, a shepherdess and daughter of Laban. Jacob identified himself as her cousin, kissed her and wept aloud. Rachel was a very beautiful woman, and Jacob was soon falling head over heels in love with her. He offered to work for Laban, in order to earn Rachel as his bride, as we have read. And on the wedding night, however, the crafty Laban put his daughter, his first daughter Leah, into the marriage bed. Jacob was angry, but there was nothing to be done but to fulfil Leah's bridal week, and then to marry Rachel. Later, in the wake of the sisters' competition over children, two maid servants were elevated to wife status as well. But Rachel... Ah, Rachel was always the most loved. We see this in the care with which Jacob protected her by placing her with Joseph at the end of the caravan when he met Esau again after 20 years in Genesis chapter 33. Years later, Jacob's preference for Rachel's children, Joseph and Benjamin, was painfully obvious to his other 10 sons in Genesis chapter 37 and chapter 45. Unfortunately, the only person who failed to recognize this supreme love and to rest in it was Rachel herself. God's gift of love, beauty or intelligence can only reach their full potential for His glory, for God's glory, when they are acknowledged and received by the individual who has received them. The extent to which these gifts are developed depends largely on the person's attitude and response to them. In the same way, a woman may be loved by a man, but she would only radiate that love to the degree that she chooses to receive and rest in it. Rachel was more beautiful and beloved than her sister Leah, yet Leah learned to find peace through focusing on God's care in the midst of her difficult circumstances. Neither God's blessing of physical beauty nor the love of Jacob was enough for Rachel. And now finally, her children. For 13 years, 13 long years, Rachel was childless. The social problems for women at that time with no children was terrible. Rachel must have suffered a lot whenever Leah, Bilhah and Zilpah became pregnant while she remained childless. And she took out her frustrations on her poor husband Jacob even though it was not his fault and he would not have it put upon him in Genesis chapter 30. God's participation in the miracle of life is evident in these chapters, especially chapters 29 and 31 and 30 verse 17. When God remembered Leah and also when Rachel finally becomes pregnant in Genesis chapter 30, Rachel had waited a long time for God to bless her in this way. Perhaps God was waiting to see whether her attitude might improve. It did not. Rachel stubbornly refused to be satisfied with her circumstances. She persisted in looking at the negative side of her situation. When Rachel's maid Bilhah bore Jacob a son in her name, she named him Dan, which means God has vindicated. While recognizing God had heard her prayers, she regarded the child as her right to make up for her past suffering, rather than a free gift to her out of his love. And when Bilhah's second son was born, she named him Naphtar, which means my struggle. Again she considered the child a sign of victory over her sister, sister in reward for her unhappiness. And even the birth of Rachel's own son Joseph did not satisfy her. One son was not enough. Nothing was ever enough for Rachel. Many years passed. Jacob built up his herds and left Laban in Genesis 31. He was reconciled with his brother Esau in we read that in Genesis 32 and 33. Jacob settled in Shechem where his elder sons killed all the men and plundered the city in revenge for the violation of their sister in Genesis 34. God told Jacob to move his family to Bethel where he renewed his covenant with him. And then in Genesis chapter 35 here Rachel actively expresses her perception of her whole life and revealed her capacity for self-pity, when as she died giving birth, named her baby Ben-Oni, son of her trouble. Her devoted husband overruled her choice, and gave him the name that means son of my right hand, Benjamin, suggesting that perhaps not only that he would treasure this son in a special way, but also that Rachel had been like a right hand to him. Rachel was probably a very positive, supportive wife for Jacob, but this cannot be proved from what the scripture says. When Rachel died, Jacob honoured her tomb with a pillar, and to this day the site apparently remains an important landmark for Jews in Bethlehem. In her lifetime, however, it seems that all Rachel constructed was a monument to her own misery. So there we have the pen portraits of Rachel's father Laban, Rachel's sister Leah, Rachel's husband Jacob, and Rachel's Rachel's children, and with a gleaning idea of her relationship with all of them. And here it is perhaps helpful to discuss two points about culture at that time. First, the household gods represented tokens of inheritance, more than just symbols of idolatry. Whoever had them could lay claim to a man's property after his death. Secondly, as God later spelled out for the Israelites, it was considered an act of uncleanness to touch a woman during her period of menstruation or anything on which she sat. Leviticus chapter 14. God intended it as a health precaution, but Rachel used it to hide her theft. And as she expected, Laban didn't bother searching any further. Because she had an older sister and several brothers, Rachel must have realized that she had no real claim to her father's property, regardless of who had the idols. Her act was spontaneous, motivated by a desire to retaliate against her family, rather than for self-gain. The combination of stealing and lying was simply another expression of her dissatisfaction. The household gods were buried after Jacob commanded them to be. Genesis 35 What alternative did Rachel have? How can people resolve their feelings and resentment in productive permanent ways? Leah's life demonstrates a determination to face facts confess her feelings and focus on the Lord as a reliable source of fulfillment in every circumstance. Jacob also learned to accept his difficult situation by finding evidence of God's blessing even in the midst of hardship but Rachel consistently refused to be comforted by the blessings God had faithfully provided out of his providence. She chose instead to brood over her father's treachery, her sister's fertility, her servant's fertility, her husband's conflicting duties, and her own failure to have children. And rather than making the best of her current circumstances, she was haunted by the past, and her unfulfilled dream of what could have been, and she consistently entered into self-pity parties. Rachel insisted on trying to twist the future into what she wanted. To be lovely and much loved is what so many people that I talk to want to be and have. Yet it wasn't enough for Rachel. She wanted more. So why is Rachel in the Bible? Indeed, why are we talking about Rachel? Firstly, she's mentioned in Jeremiah 31, as we've said, where she signifies the sorrow of Israel's people at their exile to Assyria and Babylon. Then there is Matthew chapter 2, where she symbolises the sorrow of the women of Israel, weeping at the loss of the babies during Herod's killing spree of children in the early years of Jesus. But thirdly, and perhaps the most important reason, is found in Ruth chapter 4, verse 11, where she is honoured with Leah by later generations of Israelites as those who together built up the house of Israel. This would seem to suggest that despite her obvious and many faults that we have seen, Rachel with Leah were well respected by the Jews as the mothers of Israel. There were twelve tribes of Israel, all sons or grandsons of Jacob, and heard his prophecies concerning them and their future. The names of the twelve tribes were Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Gad, Asher, Dan, Naphtar, Benjamin, and the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Levi, the third son, was not included amongst the tribes given land. Moses instead, instead set his descendants, the Levites, apart to be priests. And so how do we conclude? Perhaps there are three kind of people here tonight. Firstly, if you're a Christian here tonight, how and in what way are you like Rachel? As you go through each day, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you ways in which you may well be deceitful, vengeful, dwelling on the past bitterly, or engaged in constant self-pity. Are you like Rachel, headed downhill on a course of total dissatisfaction that may end in dishonesty and deceit or in disappointment and despair. You have to accept God's love for you. It's there. Ask to accept it. Ask Him to show you His love and believe that in every trial He desires us to draw closer to Him so that we can be energized by Him and realize that He and He alone is enough. Ask for forgiveness for dwelling on the past and any inappropriate behaviour where those things were involved. God is faithful and just and will forgive if you go to him with a penitent heart. Then no longer dwell on those things for they are in the past, are to be forgotten, they are forgiven and are not to be remembered anymore. So forgetting what is past, go into the future with a new outlook of service to God and to others. That way your life will be a living prayer, and a living witness, a living good witness to others about the great God that you proclaim to serve, love and worship. Secondly, you may well be a Christian, but you are the victim of somebody else's deceit and dishonesty. Well, you also have to forgive them, not dwell on the past. You have to forgive them before God, and as far as it is possible, also ask that person for forgiveness and offer your forgiveness of them. Bitterness, envy and pride can eat away and cause much more misery, sin and depression. And finally, if it happens that here tonight you you would not say that you are a Christian, then please do see one of the leaders or myself and we will be glad to tell you how you can be free from a life of dissatisfaction, deceit and dishonesty both as the victim and the perpetrator of such things. Know that Jesus Christ is above deceit, he never dissatisfies, and he is never dishonest. He is always true, always satisfies, and is always honest. His word is true when he seeks you, to be in a relationship with you, where his love is always serving. He is always humble. And he is always, always, always satisfied. As I said, come and see one of us after. If that is you, thank you.